city. It is this sprawling massive place miles and miles across. Been here as long as anyone can remember. Nobles play their power games. Guilds maneuver for money and influence. Dark things emerge from the shadows to hunt. And the lamplighters take everything in while keeping the darkness at bay. The thing I always wonder is why. Why do these lamplighters keep the darkness back? What investment do they have in Avalon? Streets of Avalon, an urban RPG setting by Brett Blazinski for the world's most popular role-playing game. Ask for it at your friendly local game store or head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash streets. Gaming and BS. Episode 347. Being recorded sometime in June, this decade, 2021. Did you get any good gaming in since we talked last time? I, talk uh, I played t- uh, Tuesday, right? Tuesday. We were talking about Cyberpunk. Yes. We yep. have a, I haven't played. That's the last oh. game I played. Delta oh, really? Green. Was it Delta Green? This week, yeah, is, yeah, this week is Thursday I game. So last week I played Tuesday. And we were talking about playing Cyberpunk. Red. Yeah, that's right. You wrapped up wrapped up Delta Green, and then you guys are opting to go to Cyberpunk Red. Okay. You didn't do any Forbidden Lands or anything? That's this Thursday. That's this Thursday. Okay. Very as, cool. as far as I know, like as long as, I, I don't know, lightning doesn't strike my house or... I, Sean doesn't decide to remodel the outside of his condo. Cat or, yeah, the cat doesn't pee on five floors that I have to remodel. I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand what's going on. What's going on? Where am I? Is it... I don't know. Brett, is that um, you? I got, it's totally me. I got in some, uh, some gaming of my own. Um, last week was supposed to be my Greyhawk game on Thursday. Then Friday was Lenny was going to do Call of Cthulhu. And then Saturday was the D6 Star Wars game for Nick. And uh, Lenny got a hold of me. Um, what was it? Friday. And <clears throat> early in the days, like I... Work went to shit on me. I can't. I'm not ready. Not ready for Horror on the Orient Express. You want to run? Uh, another Greyhawk game? Done. So it was back-to-back Greyhawk for me Thursday and Friday. It was a hell of a good game. I've been pulling out some old critters. A couple of guys forgot that in first edition AD&D, there's a thing called Saber Die. And that if you lose, like, so they, they got lucky on that one when they met the Wyvern. And then they encountered some Lamia. Lamia are this... Uh, type of vampire and they didn't realize that when they so the Lamia slapped on the characters d4 damage Xavier lose a wisdom point oh okay yeah cavalierly yeah sure one wisdom yeah, yeah fine at the end of the session he's like you know three four points down in wisdom so when do those come back they don't what no no Zave, they don't those are permanent well, how do you get them back? I don't know. Wish spell, something like that. Do a quest. I don't know. They're gone. Ah, uh, oh fuck. <laughs> and Nick the cleric is looking as scared as she goes. Holy shit! I'm glad they never hit me. <laughs> he kept getting charmed though. I charmed the hell out of Nick, and uh, as the Lamy upright is not that charming, but Nick's character kept trying to kill the rest of the party. That was fun. Kept him on his toes. But it was a hell of a good time. We had a lot of <clears throat> a lot of fun. The guys were really getting into the. Um, 
the plot, the politics, trying to piece piece everything together. All the different clues are slowly but surely coming together for him. So it's a ton of fun for me. And uh, just watching them have a good time has been great. And then next Saturday, Star Wars game. It had been a while since we played, so it was a lot of kind of reverse lore dumping as we all went back and forth. Like, what did we do? What are we trying to do? How did we get there? So we all collectively got ourselves there and then huge steps to get off the planet and move on to the next thing. We're on Coruscant right now. We're on a low level of Coruscant, which is apparently not very friendly. So, but anyway, so far so good on that. And uh, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow is going to be, excuse me, we moved our online games to Tuesdays. So tomorrow, Alpha is running uh, the Undermountain Dungeon Mad Mage. Then Wednesday, AJ will be running his um, his uh, Midgard game, his five E game for Alana and I. So I'm looking forward to that too. <sighs> Did you get any game submitted to Game Wokan yet? I meant to do that today, but I ran out of time doing things. That's the problem, Brett. You try to do so much in a very condensed amount of time. And you end up uploading the wrong episode for our podcast. You run into technical snafus. You... I swear to God, I wasn't trying to bring this up. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was on my agenda. I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll get a badge and then I'll, because I can submit mothership anytime. Like I, that's the one oh, I yeah. know I'm going to run and, you know, Ypsilon yep. 41, 14, whatever. Yeah. It's, but not yet is the quick answer. Yes, I plan to have, I've got a pretty good idea what I want to do. Definitely at least one Avalon game. I think I'm going to run a World of Darkness horror game. And uh, I don't know if I want to do a third yet or not. So anyway, I plan to get that figured out by this weekend and get those submitted. But for those of you out there who are thinking of doing so, like our buddy Jim Fitzpatrick and others, if you're interested, and you do want to run under the Gaming NBS banner, let us know. Because it's not like we're going to say, oh, don't run that game, or oh, you should do this instead. No, what we want to do is promote your stuff, man. We want to tell people, hey, this is a great game master. She runs a mean game. Get there. Sign up for it. So we can tell people about it. Um, that's the big That's the big reason to keep Sean and I in the loop, so that we can help you do that type of thing. And do not be afraid to say, hey, I want to run it under the Gaming BS banner. Because if you're a BSer and you want to run a game, as far as Sean and I are concerned, you're good people. So, Yeah. <laughs> That would be awesome if you would do that. Helps to, from a small, silly thing, helps promote the show just by having that in there. But on the other side, it's just cool to see that type of thing out there. These are, you are all our friends. It's wonderful to see our friends at these cons running really kick ass games for people. So I love that shit. And nothing else, I think every BS or game that's out there, it's a sign of quality. And people know that BS stands for quality. I think that's what they know. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. I'll tell you what. Let's let's move on and uh, let's let's give a random encounter. Let's do let's go for that. All right, the sound effect works. So that's Sean. Sean's getting happier. He's smiling. Um, uh, you know what, Sean? I'll let you read the first one. See if we can take your mind off your pain. All right. Sky comments right. on Discord about episode three forty five modifying combats on the fly. So, regarding episode three forty five. Uh, my opinion is that combat balance in 5e doesn't exist. His words, not mine. Um, chasing it is a mistake many new game masters do. 
in my opinion, the most effective method of ma- modification is to tell your players a few things, uh, a few things in session zero. One, the world will not be balanced to their PCs. Yeah, so, sounds good. Number two, while you won't kill their PCs outright, you won't save them from stupid decisions either. Uh, number three, initiative doesn't mean they should stop thinking about the other pillars of the game. It just means the minute of the minute of the second by second decisions is now the focus. Then, as the game master, I have a few guidelines that I try to follow. One, set up the situations, not combats. Example: stop the ritual, not kill the cultists or the bear is killing livestock please find out why not just kill that bear it rarely keeps my players from getting into some form of combat they are just that type of player but it frames the situation in a way where they don't assume kill the dudes and has saved them in the past when they were up against the tpk level fight as well as when they could wipe in wipe the adversaries in one round but they needed info from them two I use different words. This quote is common, commonly misattributed, but here it is. Watch your, th- watch your thoughts. They become words. Watch your words. They become deeds. Watch your deeds. They become habits. Watch your habits. They become character. Character is everything. So I don't say big, bad, evil guy. I say threat. I don't usually say monster. I say adversary or non-player character, NPC, etc. By, do by doing so, it helps me avoid inbuilt habits and biases that might sway me when making up the story of a situation. Side note, I don't use alignment in my world. The axis is not good, neutral, evil. It's creation, balance, entropy for similar reasons. Three. This might be the most important thing I do, and you touched on it when talking about adversaries uh, running. What's the story of the situation? It tells me not just what is happening. Example, the cult is summoning a demon. It tells me what the various goals and motivations of the forces involved. It tells me what happens when the PCs interrupt that ritual and it goes sideways. Why do a ritual to summon a demon at all? Because if you just open the portal, it'll come through and kill everyone. So when the ranger says they want to put an arrow in the cultist running the ritual, I could tell the wizard they know that would cause X, Y, Z to happen. Additionally, it tells me what happens after. Why were the cultists summoning that demon? Cultists got a cult. Nah, it was because X, Y, Z. Now that they didn't get it from the demon, what is their next uh, uh, next option? Okay, so I went off a little into adventure design. Back to the combat difficulty. So we have established with the PCs that combat is not the be-all and end-all solution. We have given them a goal that can be achieved multiple ways. We have changed our prep to be able to react to player choice by figuring out how the pieces fit, as well as knowing why the what is happening. For the majority of the game, is that is good enough. Tough fight? Doesn't matter. They needed the scroll the Sphinx was protecting not to kill the Sphinx. So while most PCs are fighting it, uh, fighting it, the rogue grabs the scroll and they get the fuck out. Stay in initiative and do a skill challenge chase as the Sphinx goes after them. Easy fight? Doesn't matter. You know the story of the situation and the adventure slash campaign, so you just smoothly move on to the next thing. You didn't get the rug pulled from under you because you thought it would be a tough fight and it wasn't. The place where this method needs help is significant encounters against major adversary threat. 
Typically, this is the end of the story, and it should have a certain level of gravitas. In 5e, that usually means PCs dropping to zero and getting back up. I still follow my guidelines. The goal isn't to kill the dudes, but the adversary is desperate. This is their final play. They can't back down, and the PCs probably hate them, so they won't either. I typically have four major points in these encounters. I use them in others, but I make sure they are all present in significant encounters. One, main adversary. Two, waves of minor adversaries, mooks slash minions. Three, environmental threats, magical energy lashing out of a portal or the whole building engulfed in flames. And four, the actual goal. Having all this, this chaos as well as tweaking hit points and damage allow for the situation to be massaged. PCs have posted up and started running their most effective damage macro. Oh, look, the minions swarm their position. Too many NPCs on the wizard now? Oops, a flaming beam just fell and killed four of them. But also the floor starts to crack and there's a bunch of fire here. In some cases, just upping the damage will make the combat seem more difficult. 5e NPC damage scales horribly, so you could typically toss some elemental damage on an NPC's attack to make them hit harder and actually threaten a PC. I think that's it. I kind of rambled, but I am not done with my first cup of coffee. <laughs> Sean, I think my favorite part of this is the idea of when you set the goal, right? So you've got the hook and the hook is not kill the cultists, stop them, right? You need to stop whatever they're doing. And sometimes, quite frankly, that, that phrase everyone goes oh you mean stop with extreme prejudice you know stop with you know blah 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 so they as players will assume a thing so i think one way to get people to start thinking past it is using phrase like you know find out what they're doing and report back right don't interfere until we know exactly what they're trying to accomplish it could be capture someone because we need intel capture an idol capture an artifact or stop the cultists by doing X instead of saying by killing them all, there could be many reasons why and wherefores behind such a thing. But I like that idea of using descriptors, using your verbs and adjectives and all those good little words we've got to tell people, look, I need you to get your, you know, here's the hook, but the hook isn't kill everything in every room in the dungeon. The idea is go through the dungeon methodically, quickly, whatever it is and find X. X may be a person thing or whatever. And then that's it. That's the job. Get out. Um, depending on the type of game you're running. I mean, if you're running a very XP heavy game, right? An older school style where killing monsters and taking stuff. If you're running gold equals XP, like back in the old days, that could be, <laughs> that changes that, that changes the style of play. So I think that goes back to session zero stuff. Sky was talking about like, look, you know, this is how you level up and so on and so forth. But I love that concept of, um, giving a goal that is not explicitly or implicitly kill them all. Right. Cause even in star Wars, whatever it is, you know, go steal the heart of blah, go steal the, this figure this thing out, get the death star plans from point A to point B. It wasn't kill every fracking stormtrooper you can find. It was take this thing from point A to point B. You know, that was the thing. It doesn't, um, I just like that. I think that's a really that's a really sharp. There's a lot of good stuff in there, but that was a piece that stuck with me the most. You agree with me, or what do you think? Yeah, that it's, one? it's good stuff. Um, I like the verbiage that he uses. It's good. 
Yeah. We yeah, we game adversary instead of monster type of thing. Yeah, we we game masters get into some stuff that's you know there was a discussion on our Discord about DCC a little bit, and Marco ran a game. Thanks, Marco, for doing that, by the way. And um, they were talking about deaths and not deaths, and they listen to Spellburn and and there is a theme with the funnel that nobody's gonna survive and things of that nature and it's so going there was a a thing about that about playing like past level one in DCC and that it's it seems like the question always arises of did you die how many died right and some folks are not fans of that like why would we talk about DCC is it about Hey, how many people died, right? Like that's kind of the go-to question. And so I equate the verbiage um, that's being used to kind of similar, right, in in what Sky explains. It's kind of getting out of habits where we fall into these old kind of GM tropes at times. Oh, dude, I cannot hear you. My bad, I muted myself. Oh, I was going to say, please. Totally my fault. Don't totally do my that fault. to me, Easy. You you can't, I didn't do it on do purpose. That to me. Easy, easy. Breathe, breathe. <laughs> At least you didn't like. In. Relax. <laughs> anyway, what I was going to say is I think it's interesting when we, people say, oh, they kill monsters and take their stuff. Right. Okay, murder hobo. Some of that stuff is fun slash funny. And DCC parlance, it can, it's kind of like what Call of Cthulhu. Did you go insane or did you die? Right. Right, I, I think I've mentioned this on the show is that that kept me away from playing that game for decades, literally decades. I did not want anything to do with that game because I'm like, that's all you do. Right. Well, that sounds fucking stupid. Why would I do that? That sounds dumb. Everything is death or insanity, which is effectively taking my character out of the game. Why? There's so much more to the game. And I think DCC has a lot more stuff to it. The funnel is fun. And those things make a lot of con games. And the high body counts are, it, it's a tropey thing to do. But I think it would, you know, you talk to people who are playing DCC at cons, different levels, or they're playing longer term campaigns or having a lot of fun with it. That may have been the funnel. And the purpose of that funnel is to figure out who lived. So, you know, changing the language, as you say, excuse me, can change the entire perception of what's going on. It's a, it's an adversary. It's a villain. This seems the largest threat. This is the monster you have to kill. You know, go, you know, stop the cultists. Okay, there's that's pretty open-ended. I'll just kill them. That's the easiest solution. That's the go-to, right? So when you use a different sentence that says, stop them by, capture them because, or whatever the case is, again, using the cultist concept that Sky gave us, I, I just, I think it's really good. I think that's a really good way to go. I absolutely agree with you, Sean. If we can, it, it can be hard to attract new people to a game when you use a a kitschy, funny way to describe said game, right? You know, vampire, kill people, drink their blood, and betray your friends. Um, maybe that's fun for some people, but other people are like, oh, that, that sounds like a shit game. That doesn't sound like anything you want to play. Right. Or, you know, Fast Furious fun. You know, some people are like, okay, that's a taggy line, you know, that Savage Worlds has that kind of that type of tagline says, oh, these mechanics are supposed to produce a type of effect. This is interesting. Um, but yeah, no, I'm with you, man. 
And some games, I don't know, suffer might be too strong. Some games, some genres, you know, kind of have that almost stuck to them. And by just changing the verbiage a little bit, as Guy suggests, I think that can have a really big impact. That's some good stuff. I like it. Thank you, man. Yeah, Excuse thanks, Thank Guy. You, Sky. Appreciate it. All right. Good grief. Who do we got here? DM Kojo. We've got an email, and I think we got a voicemail, uh, voicemail that Sean finally figured out. So I'm going to read this one just in case. Um, I'll read first. This way in case Sean completely fucked up again. And we can't get the voicemail to work. We got this covered. So, Kojo, I really enjoyed your takes on the topic of modifying combat encounters on the fly. This is something that I do routinely as a GM in order to present the best challenge to my players and the most interesting story. Coincidentally, I recently engaged in a discussion on the same topic on Facebook. While many people seem to take a similar approach as I do on this matter, there are few who accuse me of abusing my power to railroad the group into a story that I wanted that should play things, quote-unquote, by the book, or I'm not really playing the game. I take my role as GM very seriously, and I feel that I need to use all the tools at my disposal in order to maximize the game for everyone. I never use these tools in an adversarial manner, but to either increase the challenge of a battle that's proving to be too easy for the party, or to reduce the likelihood of a TPK if it's going too badly for them due to bad luck dice. I have employed many of the techniques that you discussed in the show, including changing hit points up or down secretly on the fly, having monsters retreat, every enforcement creatures join the combat, reduce the damage done by an enemy attack, adding a random narrative element to throw the players a curveball. On occasion, I over-adjust and it swings from too easy to being too difficult for the party. In those cases, it's easy to use other tools from the list to ease the dead- deadliness back down a bit. It is a constant balancing act that I play when I run the game. I do want to point out that this does not mean I'm going easy on the party. Stupid choices can still lead to TPKs. I still don't believe in quote-unquote balanced encounters, and PCs will sometimes need to flee to survive. I always leave them out, but they don't always take it, which can lead to the TPK. Ultimately, I see myself as working with what the players give me to craft the most interesting story for everyone, including me. That means I may need to manipulate some encounters behind the scenes. I don't think this is railroading or unfair in any way. I feel my players still have total agency because I'm always responding and tweaking the encounter based on their choices, never with a preconceived outcome in mind. Hope these ramblings make sense to your friend Kojo. Now, Kojo brings something up here. That was another piece that Sky said. So both of these just ring ring from here. And I'm going to paraphrase, kind of turn my, turn this into my own thing here. As Game Masters, Matt Colville talked about this in uh, his episode on Dice we're trying to help curate an event. And other people have said this too, is that having, what's the story? Why are the bad guys doing this? What are the cultists trying to do as Sky talked about? And uh, Kojo talks about, you know, hey, we want to have a good story. We want to talk about a really cool thing. This is a first, second, third, and final draft all at the same goddamn time at the table. It's all happening. Until the encounter is over, be it a social encounter, a combat encounter, a whatever you want to call it, whatever that scene is until it's over, it's not done. You are still going back and forth with the players and the game master trying to figure out how it's going to go. We use dice sometimes to help us facilitate that, games that do that. But how many times have we, when someone said, oh, I do that, and the game master says, okay, so that means what you're going to do is put the longsword in your teeth and jump in the raging river? And someone, somebody else goes, you're going to cut your fucking head off, dude. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a bad idea. Don't do that. Well, the players just modified the encounter. The players just hold, modified the whole thing by going, whoa, 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 whoa. I'd never do that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Bad idea. Bad idea. 
players do it. There's five, four, three, however many of them. And reacting, reacting back and forth is just, it, it, it's some of the juice of the RPG event, right? And I think it's its really important to do that. The One of the cool things I think uh, Koja is talking about here, she's responding and tweaking the encounter based on their choices, never with a pre- preconceived outcome in mind. And that is the, that's like the epitome of the, uh, the hardcore railroad, right? Where you're like, look, it doesn't matter what you do. You know, you go down the hall, there's a corridor, it goes right or it goes left. We go right. You go left. What? No, you go left. I said we go right. No, you're going left. Sean, I've heard that story. That's 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 an actual thing that happened to a friend of ours. Um, <laughs> so these are, it's not railroading and so forth. And I have a, uh, I've got a, a post I threw up on um, just today, actually, in, um old school and I were chatting a little bit on in the forums and I remembered where some people that my buddy Lenny was running for I had a chance to play with him a few times he modified his return to Temple of Elemental Eve a little bit with the vampire thromble and changed it around to touch and there were some players in that group um, a lot of the players in that group who were frustrated and angry because that's not the real module you beat us because you cheated you didn't run the module as it's written. Therefore, we as players don't know if we could defeat that module because you modified it. If it's a cakewalk for us, it's a shit module. If it's really hard and an even match, then it's a great module. If it's too hard and we all die, maybe it's a shit module. I, or, or whatever their logic was, but they were not pleased. And they were vocal about it. <laughs> so it's... uh. It's interesting how, how people see different things. I would uh, I would never call Kojo a railroad guy. I don't think that he's that dude. So, Anyway, you got that one queued up there, Sean? Want to give it a try? I do. All right, let's give it so, a try. So, yeah, we'll go to Kojo's voicemail. Hey, guys, it's Kojo. It's been a while since I've talked at my uh, favorite friendly neighborhood BSers. So hope everything's going well. Just wanted to call in with a question, take your brains a little bit, and I've been really thinking about this a lot lately, is using pieces from one game system in another system. Um, I'm wondering if there are things that you have transplanted from one system to another in the past, whether it be between editions of D&D or even completely unrelated games. Uh, there's things I like in certain systems that, you know, I want to try in other systems, but I also want to create a train wreck or seriously unbalance, you know, the game as designed. So I'm trying to, to weigh that and see see how it goes. So just curious if you guys have any experience with that. Love to hear more about it. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Well, Sean, that ties in nicely to what we're going to talk about today and even next week. So that, that idea, I think, is something that I would almost say... The whole, um, when you see the retro clones, a lot, some of that stuff, when I read them, I'm, I'm, I jokingly say house rules as far as the eye can see, right? But I think it's a lot of, um, a lot of folks taking what they saw was the best of or components and pieces and parts. And hell, I think you can, you can see within 5e pieces and parts from other game systems that get de- designed and developed into and within. Uh, so I think it's, it's normal. To do that, but I think it's interesting when we as mere players and 
game masters, right? We're not producing a product through hardcore playtesting and stuff. When we say, hey, boy, I, have, I saw this really cool thing from Dungeon World. I wonder if I could slot that into my, you know, Knights Black Agents game. Would that work? Could I do it? How bad would that be? How cumbersome and ugly would it be? And so on. But uh, that's a good question, though. Sean, do you do, have you done that? Like, consciously? I haven't. I haven't. And he did call in after that one to say, hey, here are the examples I'm talking about. Like, I like the initiative. Uh, I like the initiative that's derived out of Star Wars, you know, where you everybody rolls, but it's slots. So he's, mm. like, using that in this particular game. So he's okay. talking about, you know, hijacking one thing to put into another i haven't done a lot of modding um i find that if i want to do a lot of modding then i end up having to keep track of those modding moddings where i you know i don't know if i want to be able to have to do that unless i'm in a game like maybe osc and i come up with my own everything like that's part of the deal as me as the game master right like that's part of the experience that i want to get into otherwise it's pretty much you know forbidden lands rolls like this star wars rolls like that so i think you point out something pretty solid there is that if you want to have that and have the experience work or not work yeah i shouldn't say work or not work but work the best it can so if it doesn't work right, you modify the modifier, you, you tweak, you change, or whatever. We've talked about this a little bit before with house rules, whatever that is, um, whatever house rule you're trying to implement, is having that stuff documented, written down in some way that you can reference it. Right. Because if it happens, initiative you're going to use potentially all the time in a D&D style game or a game that has initiative. You may say, hey, we're going to use initiative from Savage Worlds. Here's a deck of cards. This is how we're going to do it. And it's happening often enough, bam, bam, bam. In a combat intensive game, or when using initiative or whatever, you're going to get very used to it. Maybe you don't have to write that down. But if you say, hey, I love, really love this chase mechanic from Knights Black Agents. I want to slot that into my Savage Worlds game. Or I really want to use that in my Genesis system. You, you figured out how you want to try to use it. You use it. And it's not like you got to play test the shit out of this stuff either, right? It's your group. These are friends of yours. You're going to try this thing. You tell them, hey, we're going to try this. They run it. You go, wow, that was cool. A little feedback says, don't do this. Paint it blue. I like this. I didn't like that. You know, you might not have another chase for two, three, four sessions. Who knows how many, unless your game is super chase heavy. So if you don't run into it often, when it comes up again, you say, hey, I want to pull that out. And someone goes, oh, I don't remember it being that much fun. I thought it was fun. Didn't we change some stuff? If you have it documented, you can say, yeah, we did. And I have it, you know. So I think documentation can be a uh, potential downside. Some people may, may disagree. So I don't need to do any of that. I can remember it all. Steel trap mind. Great. Sean Iron and others are getting older. So we, <laughs> we we can't remember to plug shit in sometimes or where the fuck did I put my, my glasses? I mean, the, this stuff happens. So I think documenting can, can be a thing and not having the desire to write that stuff up can slow you down from implementing such things. But I think it's a worthy question and definitely worth the topic in and of itself, Kojo. So that's going in Hoppa. Going in Hoppa, buddy. Anything else, Sean, on that? No. You good? Yeah, I'm good. You ready? Because I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. I know you've <laughs> had a bad day. I don't want you to be all grumpy here. It's all right. I can always all be right. like, I don't know, kind of, sort of, maybe. I know, depends. Kinda. No. 
Yes. Your Honor, I'd like to treat the witness as hostile. I forgot about jury duty. Yeah, you had jury duty too. I had jury duty last week too. Anyways, <laughs> was it? Did you have a drunk driver? Was that what you guys to deal with? Did I? Oh, what's that? Was it drunk driver? It was. Oh yeah, I didn't. Did I tell you? I don't know if I told you all the details. You know what? You know what? Let's let's do this first. We'll go into jury duty <laughs> later because who fucking cares about you? This is a gaming show. What are we doing? Move on. Move on. Move on. <laughs> I did do, had to do a lot of negotiating. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. It was more mentally exhausting than I anticipated. Yeah, it is. It really is. All right. All right, Sean, you ready? God, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'm ever ready. I don't, <laughs> all the times I've said, "Yeah, I think I'm ready." Tonight, I don't. Know. I have no idea. So let's let's see how far this gets, or if this show will end soon. So Sean's been ra- raving about Forbidden Lands to me off the mics. Um, loves the group he's playing with. Everyone's having a really good time. And I know he, excuse me, had Phil Vecchione on a while back and said, hey, how, how does it work and so on. So I'm, I don't want to get into that. What I think is interesting about this, kind of in the um, the vein, Sean, I've got into here is kind of introspection. What are we liking? What's working really well? And Sean has been talking a lot about pieces and parts of it that he really, really digs. And I have not played a hex crawl centric game, you know. Um, I have done, I thought back on it. I remember Isle of Dread, basic high school level forays into that hex crawl, but that was about it. It was, or we'd have the Forgotten Realms map laid out on, in the basement floor somewhere with the with the overlays, with the grids. So you try to figure out how we're going to do things and so on. Brett, some, 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 people are surprised, some people are surprised your Greyhawk game is not, does not have hex crawl elements. Does not see, and so we could talk about that. Like, what the fuck is a hex crawl defined, so on and so sure. forth. But anyway, so one of the things I think that I'm I'm picking up that you really seem to enjoy from it is the way that Forbidden Lands does certain things. And I thought, hey, let's talk about that and see kind of what lessons you're pulling out of it. Um, not only from a mechanics perspective, but just from a um, from the game as a whole. So we'll, we'll see where we go here. But anyway, point is, is uh, first question. So it feels like you have found through the way that they're doing hex crawls with the Forbidden Land system and stuff. Is this helping you make RPGs exploration, I should say, within RPGs more fun and interesting for you as a game master and the players? Or do you feel that it's just more interesting for you? You feel like you've got something you can grab onto and the fact that you 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 grok it means that it flows that way to the players that they get in on it too. Well, I think that if you have a game master and they're not really jamming on what they're running, it's going to probably come through. Yeah, very true. I would like to say that I would want there are, there are weeks that I'm off. So oh, yeah, I think it, it's hard to be you know, 110% right. every day. But once I once I sit at the table and we get rolling, then you know, every you know, Kevin our low our our lore keeper, you know, he he's taken, you know, copious amount of notes and so then then things start to roll. You know, I've talked to you Brad off the mics about be I sh- I need to tighten up my game in that game. Uh, mm-hmm. as a game master 
I think the players, I have to tap the players for some, some feedback, which I haven't really done formally. I think the guys have expressed that they're have an enjoy, having an enjoyable time, but I haven't said, mm-hmm. I haven't said, hey, do you want more role playing? Do you want more combat? Do you want um, more more plot or or what have you? So, um, so I think overall the consensus is everybody's having a good time, and myself included. Now, I feel I, where I'm trying to get to is that the game seems to have exploration is a key function here, right? It's after the blood mist, go out and find shit. So you're going out to find shit. Are you grooving on the fact that it's the hex crawl, like that approach, the mechanics that, they, that they've got, is it kind of that, how do I say this? So you and I have talked about this before. Sometimes hex crawl events that we've talked about before sometimes feel tacked on or they don't seem to have a lot of the extra oomph behind it, perhaps, at least some attempts at it. And... To me, for whatever reason, exploration in an RPG, like going out into the world and going hex by hex to find out what's here, or what's there. I don't know why, but it almost seemed when I've tried it in the, like I said, when I tried it, Pat, it's been forever. And when I think about it now, it strikes me as boring. Yeah. You know, it, it, even more dull for whatever reason than a mega dungeon crawl. And I don't know why. I haven't, I have not played for Ben Lanza, as I said. And I don't want to, I'm not telling anybody it is boring and dull. It strikes me as that. But you seem to be really grooving on it. And I was surprised when you said that. So do you like the exploration system that they have? Is that kind of what makes you think it's, is that what's, is that facilitating it being fun? Or are you, you and the players, the ones kind of making it fun, regardless of what the game mechanics are doing? Well, there's a lot to unpack there. I know there is. I want to get you thinking. There is something to be said about the, the players god phil's in the chat he's probably like beaming right now <laughs> guys I keep it, now, we're gonna, now they're gonna think their shit doesn't stink um but it's true like you could get players in the game and not like it or appreciate it and they could probably impact the experience in a negative way mm-hmm. right if you have or it's Group chemistry or whatever, like any game. game. Yeah, you gotta pack assholes. It's not gonna be a fun game. Forbidden lands aside, and Mm -hmm. so having said that, I think that helps a significant amount. That and um, going back to the hex crawl itself, I can understand that um, component of well, I don't, I don't think that's overly exciting to me now. The nice thing about, well, and, and Brad alludes to it, is that in some games, like Old School Essentials, you can run, or Brett's, um, I gotta mute my phone. And when Brett talks about uh, Greyhawk or First Edition, he could have it as a hex crawl and he could run it in a particular way. He could say, well, it's resource intensive, or I hand wave yeah. all this, or you. Not this encounter, but you go through two hexes and it just happens. However, the game master, dungeon master approaches the hex crawl themselves. You know, there's there's no uh, there's no RPG police that are going to tell you you're doing it wrong. Some will, but that doesn't make them an authority necessarily. 
But the thing, and I mentioned this before, is in Forbidden Lands, there is a mechanized way of exploration. And it's incentivized because you get experience. So experience points has like, I don't know, 12 questions. You know, did you do this? You know, yes. Did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? And you add up all the yeses, and that's how much experience points you get at the end of the session. So when you say when you say mechanized, I don't want to get into this too much, but I, I can see some people saying, oh, there's a formula, because that's the thing that runs through Brett's head, right? Oh, you have a formula. You have a standard checkbox of things to do. And that kid, and I, <clears throat> when I say that, and I, I you know run that through my head, I'm like, oh, I'm putting a negative spin on that. Why? Because if I really did have a list of things to do because that exploration component of dealing with the resources and so forth from what you've described to me, I think one of the things I'm pulling out of you talking about this stuff with me is I'm like, you know, that tool is pretty damn important. At least it would be for me to have a consistent experience with exploration because even if I'm feeling a bit off or whatever, I've got a go-to list. Like, hey, this is how you explore a hex. It goes bam, 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 bam. And I think there's something, it, it feels formulaic when you, when I think about it at first. I'm like, wow, why do I need that? I'm Brett. I can totally wing this like I wing everything else, blah, blah, blah. But when you do that from an exploration perspective, it, I think, I, 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 this is just absolutely me. I feel I would have an inconsistent exploration feeling to my game. Right. Right. Where I could be like, oh fuck, we forgot to feed the the the, the dog sled team for the last two sessions. Right. Fuck. Um. All right. So yeah, there uh, you lost two dogs. Move on. Right. And I'm like, god damn. And when that shit happens, it irks me. Yeah. When I'm like, oh, I got this really cool plan, man. We're gonna be like exploration. We're gonna try this thing, and then I fuck it up, or the players missed it. You know, because we don't have the list. So. From listening to you talk about it at first, like, eh, eh, eh. And then I, I think about how I've run without it. It just doesn't, I don't think I'm getting the most out of it, man. Yeah. And without that's, that tool. that's a definite way of looking at it because, again, hex crawls can be any kind of way you want to approach them, but you get into those snarly nuances where it's like, oh, what about food? How do you manage food? Well, that's, there may be advice on how to manage food. There may be, um, it, but then you might forget about it. So then what happens? And, and frankly, we could forget about some of that in Forbidden Lands. Now, I've got a group that- Yeah, like, a, list, a list doesn't make perfection. No. It doesn't, a list doesn't say, oh, fuck, we skipped step six. We should have checked for the impact of salt water on- you know, non-ferrous metal or something. Weird. Yeah, I'm being overly goofy, but you, you could do that. Yeah, but at least, you know, like to correct it, let's go back and use the thing. Right. That's how it feels. Well, and you will get players that say, hey, we need to roll for food or we need to forage or we need to hunt. Like that's part of the deal when you Especially if that character, if that, if that player's character, if that's their opportunity to shine, right? Right. If that person, if she's like, look, I'm the huntress. This is my thing. I, I'm the one that procures the food. This guy is the cook. This guy sets up camp. This person's the scout. And they're the this. Those components within that check are giving spotlight passing. Yes. 
Yes. There okay. will be some that right. will be like, I am definitely a scout person. I am definitely, you know, hunter forager person. Not necessarily, but they're, every, you know, once you start playing a couple sessions in or a couple hexes, I guess, you're going to have people doing the same thing every time, right? I'm always going to scout. You get a groove. Yeah. You get a groove. So you, learn, you learn that stuff relatively quickly. And the, the nice thing about, Forbidden land specifically, and it doesn't have to, you don't have to use the default setting. I mean, there's plenty that are using um, Forbidden Island, right? It and that's mm-hmm. not Forbidden Island, Black's Black 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 Island. Oh, oh yeah. Oh shit! I know what you're talking about. Hot uh, Dark of Hot Springs. Hot Springs. Hot Springs Island. Hot Springs. But yeah. you know, it could be made up or whatever it is. But the system still kind of does its thing and. The if you get a group that appreciates failure without dying all the time necessarily or taking on maybe some harsh harsh conditions or mishaps is usually what they're referred to formally. They can be they can be funny. They can be uh, they can be serious, um, but I don't think anybody's really gotten to the point where they're going to die over a mishap. You know, it makes things, it, it, it creates a story element component, you know, here, it's, it's going to drive, it's going to drive a, a sense of where, what you do next too. It can. Yes. Keep, and keep and, going. I'm sorry. And that's, you. well, that's the thing. Like Elise is, you know, Elise is <clears throat> Harrigan's character. They, they're kind of along the beach. She wants to fish. She has a hook and fishing line. And of course she goes out there, ha- has a mishap and breaks the hook and fishing line. And that's not like. You know, hey, I broke it. Somebody can repair it. That thing is done, right? So now they don't have any fish or hooking line, hook hook line, um, or fish for that matter. So the next time they go fishing, that's going to be an ordeal, and it's kind of like, eh, you know, no big deal. But that goes back to the original kind of topic where, well, how do you kind of manage that? You know, okay. You got to get food. Now there's, well, you know, I have fish and hook. shouldn't be hard to like just find something and make it. Maybe, sure, possibly. It could give somebody an element. If that's not the case, maybe it's a, a formal pole or something like that or a spear or something. Then maybe one of the party members can actually repair it. And when they make those die rolls or they don't, that has an effect on their character. So they can actually take you know, mental damage, physical damage themselves, but then they can also get rewarded for it in the, uh, for willpower points, which are used for magical things and, and talents. Uh, you know, the other thing that <clears throat> when you're laying this out for me and the more we've, again, we've talked about off the mics, when I hear you talk about this and you talk about like Harrigan and, and Phil and the crew, when, when, when they start taking those mishaps as opportunities to role play or success as an opportunity to role play, I think even if it's a thing where your group doesn't quite know what to do. So let's say you, you take this approach. You don't want to play uh, for Midlands. If you start building a formalized exploration piece, you may grab a copy for Midlands or something else and create your own little formalized checks or whatever sure. it is you're doing. When that stuff happens, then you have the opportunity, which is really cool to me, is when the a, a mishap happens, right? It's not you failed, you took five points of damage, you need a healer, right? This is like, I lost the hook in line. So what does Elise tell the group? 
Right. Well, she comes back and says, boy, you know, I had a lunker on and I just, I fought and fought and fought and it just, it went out and it just caught it and it cut the line. I got like this much left. I'm sorry. It happens. And you lied when in fact, what you did was perhaps, you know, you, she, you know, the, the player can look at the game message and say, look, here's what I think actually happened, but here's what I'm going to tell people. Right. You could have that discussion at the table. Like, look, I was swinging the line around and I threw it and I just forgot to hold on because I'm a dumbass and the hook and line is just gone. But I'm going to go back and I'm too embarrassed to say that. But it's, a, it's like this shameful secret I have. And anytime someone comes up, oh, man, too bad we didn't have that fish you caught. I, I like turn red. You know, or, or whatever. It, there's opportunities there in those minor mishaps that are not like it's not a combat encounter. It's not, you know. Anyway, I, I just I love the opportunity. Like, if the player doesn't take it on themselves, you and get, as the game master can look at them, or as other players, you can look at your fellow player and say, "Hey, how how do you describe what happened?" You know, even if asking the character, "So, Sean, what happened to your character? What happened on your hunting expedition? You look like you're limping." Yeah, you know, well, uh, Elise has a has a record, right? So she's gone hunting, and then she got her foot stuck in a trap. You know, so and then <laughs> poor Elise. and the bunny got away. But the next morning, the bunny kind of taunted her, and she she got the bunny. But you know, she goes fishing, her hook line breaks. So when she comes back from fishing, the first she just looks at the party and says, "I don't want to hear anything. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Don't talk to me. I don't. Want, you know, just." Ugh, yeah. Not good. Yeah. She's bad. Yeah. Walk away. So she has a record of not doing so well, and, and Harrigan hams it up. So. so like I said, I think the other piece here, too, is that when, depending on what's going on, either success or failures, drastic failures, small mishaps, whatever it is, it's going to drive a direction, potentially. You're going out into a desert-like area, hex, hex, hex. We something horrible happens. We have an eighth of the water we thought we did because of blah blah blah. Right. What do you What do you do? Suddenly, trying to find the tower in the east that you saw, and that was the encounter. You're looking for that setting, you know, that fixture to go see the tower. You're like that stops all things focused on the water because, like, I don't know if I can make it those next ten hexes yeah. because we don't have water anymore. So everything changes. Do we go back? Do we go left? Do we go right? Well, east, west? What the hell do we do? It becomes. So I, li- I like that idea. It becomes individual resources. Like it, you, c- you can keep track of resources very easily in Forbidden Lands because everything is a die type. So if you're, if you have a die twelve in water, y- your chances of keeping that water longer is higher because you have to roll a one on that die for you to lose any water and then when you lose it it only goes down a die type yeah one in four is a lot easier than a one in 12 you know the lowest that goes is a d6 like oh sorry okay yeah but even so but when that's done and somebody else has a d12 they can lower their die type to a d8 d10 and provide a d6 to the person that's out so it's very it's it's not hard it's not like, hey, arrows, you're checking off 50 at a time, and then, well, you recover, and you do the 50% recover, you know, in D&D, and then you're adding tick marks again, and then you forget mm-hmm. to remove some. It's it's a very – and you could use that for almost anything. You use it for, like, food, water, the big ones, but anything disposable, you know, you can have a die type. Arrows are the same thing. So it's it's very easily managed, and 
something to say about Forbidden Lands as we talk about the hex crawl, but it's not it's not the be all end all for Forbidden Lands. I mean, there is a potential they, they lean on strongholds, right? So the the player's ultimate goal, even though they may not come out and say it or it's not specific to their player character, but in the game, it's it's kind of like, hey, we want to get a stronghold. And then there's other components of managing the stronghold and and going out an adventure. And then you can have the, you know, province over, come over and screw around with you. And, and that plays, there's mechanics behind that. There's sites and those sites can be towns, villages. Right now I have them going through a, like a weird inner planar tower. And they're like, what? It, it, because it's a land, in this specific setting, there's a land kind of ruled or demons are, are, can be commonplace and so there's like they're going through a tower to get up to the top it, it, we get to the top it seems higher right like you get to the top of a 30 foot tower and they look out but this seems like 130 feet like they're above the clouds and you know create you know they open a door and then you should just walk right out the side of a tower and fall down to your death but they're instead they're on a on a weird material plane so they're trying to kind of unwrap their heads around that. And um, so it's... That's cool. Yeah. So you get into the hex crawl, which is like you travel, you travel, and you travel some more. And the components that go with it, then you start getting in, into sites. And you can generate them relatively quickly if you need to, if you want to do them on the fly, even random encounters. So it's it gets into some of the stuff that I think, you know, it's an homage to some of the old school stuff, but it does formalize some of that, those details where it's rogues and raiders in a forbidden land. And, um, it, it, so while we talk about the hex crawl, it's, you know, people go, ah, I don't want to play hex crawl. You know, it's, it's the exploration. There's more piece. to that specific yeah, game. Yeah. And there's an exploration piece and component to it because these guys have no idea what's around the next corner. And, with some things like Brett's like, well, why is this kind of kind of get your crank turning a little bit? And one of the biggest reasons is I think is these guys could read the books, you know, they kind of maybe know some of the setting components, but it doesn't, I don't have to have anything that's even remotely close to that if I don't want to. And there is a part of this game where it's like, I want to play kind of D and I guess, if you will, and still be something fresh, new, without relying on all 35, 40 years of D&D. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely get We've talked about that before. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's fun to step away from the addition, step away from preconceived notions and have something different, which is what, again, I think I mentioned this in the Simber Room game, is one of the things that's interesting to me is not, could I make that setting myself? Obviously, yeah, because they're making a 5e setting. Right. I could do that. You know, I have the book. But I don't want to do that. I want to play it as a different mechanic system. I'll tell you, one of the things that I, we've talked about this before, and um, I will say toolbox games or whatever, however you want to freaking describe it, but you've got these Savage Worlds, D&D, GURPS, game systems that have, that can handle a lot of stuff. Genesis system, it can do all sorts of things. Yep. Um, the setting matters. You know, um, what do I want to say? Uh, Numenera. Um, Mechanics wise, works good, you know, for all sorts of cipher stuff. System, um, cipher and so, cipher and so on. Ninth world. Yeah. Yep. So cool shit. Uh, the setting and the particulars that go with it are pretty cool. And I, I think what's, I started doing some of the stuff with my Avalon work and 
Chris and I from uh, Encoded were working out like what comes next with Avalon and so on. And one of the pieces that I'm picking up from, as you're explaining this to me, I've had this nagging thing in my head that, you know, these curated experiences. And I think about, you know, Monster Arts, like, oh, it's, it's so heavily curated. And I was thinking of that as a negative, right? Like, oh, I don't like that because it's it's too boxed in. It's too, Bluebeard's Bride seems so curated. It's just this one particular story you can tell over and over and again. And I, I'm placing this negative vibe in my head on it for that reason, or because I think it's too closed. Mm-hmm. However, now I'm listening to you play this game and... Obviously, you're a good friend of mine. I've been doing this for a long time. So I, I, I listen to you. I'm like, I trust you. So when you're telling me this, I'm like, you know what? There's, well, fuck, man. Call of Cthulhu is a curated experience game. You dumb, you moron, Brett. Come on, look at this shit. It has all these very specific things. The BRP system, you know, could be used for a number of different things. In fact, it has. But Call of Cthulhu has a sanity mechanism. It has a this, as a this, as a this, all specifically designed to invoke and bring you into and maintain tone and so forth. And I think there's something, there's something really cool about that. Even if you take, and this goes to um, Kojo's, you know, question around what taking a mechanic or something and modifying, adding it over. I think the thing, the one of the reasons I'm thinking of buying forbidden lands is just to look at the, how they mechanize the stuff that you're talking about, Sean. So I can steal that shit and make my game, my D&D game, because I still love Dungeons and Dragons. I have a lot of fun playing mm-hmm. it. I love it. But I would like to mechanize certain aspects of it, even if that just becomes a checkbox. Like, yes, we went through one, two, three, four, five as exploration. As goofy as it is, I'll give game shit for like, ah, oh, it's kind of like a fucking board game. I will say something like that offhandedly snarky. However, there are components from those, those mechanized pieces like, the first thing you do is go to the calendar and tick off the fact that, that the characters slept. Yeah, there's four, literally you, four quarters to a day. Yeah. Yeah, because if I have, even in my Greyhawk calendar, I have the calendar of Greyhawk and I'm tracking where they are in winter and so forth. Every day they sleep, ticky, 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 tick. And I do this in an Avalon campaign. I start them off 13th day of the month of the, you know, or the month of the dragon, the year of the, you know, whatever. I start them off and I work my way through it day by day by day because I want to not to be very gigaxy and have a tight time record, but I want to have something. And I find that if I skip that in some way, shape or form, it, I, for me personally, it's frustrating because it it matters to me as the game master to make sure that I have a consistent experience. And I think that's the the power that I'm picking up from what you're what you're seeing and how you're playing it, and how you're relaying it to me is the power of that curated experience of that, of those particular mechanisms that are working well for you. They may not work well for me or for someone else, but having those there, the consistency mm-hmm. is going to help maintain tone. And tone is something that we've talked about immersion and all this stuff over the last X number of years, try six, whatever, how many years have been doing this dude. But I think tone is one of the hardest pieces to, to hang on to. Because you want to, oh, I want to be immersed in the world. I want to feel this thing. I want to be in my character, all that stuff. But if you can't maintain the tone, that's a son of a bitch to get to. And uh, maybe it's just, it's always, I'm positive it's always been there and I'm just starting to see it. But it feels, when I listen to you say that stuff, I'm like, man, this is just another really cool tool to enforce tone. Exploration game, 
hex crawl, even with the other components, the way combat works in Forbidden Lands and so forth, it seems like it enforces tone. Well, and it's all everything's in it. It seems very uniform too as you progress mm. because it's all D sixes and the same. It's the same thing, right? If you're exploring a hex and you're you're the scout, the pathfinder, you're gonna roll. You know, skill, attribute, gear. If it if it applies, if you're going to do a cook check, I'm gonna I'm gonna do cooking. It's same, right? The results are always on the first roll. Six sixes are always a success, and ones on skills and attributes, uh, or I'm sorry, attributes and and gear are always mishaps, right? And so you can um, still succeed and have, you know, um, you know, and then have those mishaps. So it's, I don't know. It's, it's, um, the uniformity and the consistency, again, it, it just, it really hammers home the tone. This is a, right. You know, rogues and raiders in a land and I'm trying to survive, you know? Yes. Yeah. And it, so that's, that's cool. Yeah. And it's a, um, I, I should send you like the experience points check, you know, checklist because it literally is. The experience point checklist, when you talked to me about it, it reminded me of when we played um, Blades in the Dark. Sure. Did you do this? Did you do that? Did you yep. do this? You know, we went through that and it said, hey, yeah. Oh, yeah, I did. Boom. XP. No, no, no. Shit, shit, shit. You know, but there were you, you, you read through the list and that's how we, we got the XP. So that's pretty cool, right. too. So I think there's yeah. th there's a consistency there for XP that is even. I remember back in the day when I was running you know, old school vampire games, it was kind of like how many XP per session, and they would give you examples because it was very kind of oh, what do you think? You know, our my group was always like one just for showing up, two for being active, and three for you know, well, three for being being mover and shaker, and four is like if you like did some really cool shit but that's not a very uniform or consistent description right there i mean that was you know what's really cool to you what's really cool to me is it all up to brett how right. does this work you know so there's there's some cool components of that and i don't think and not every game and not every group wants to have a, a certain type of uniformity or consistency but i'm just thinking that from a tone perspective this could be a pretty i don't know, man i just i'm not enamored with it, but I like the ideas that I'm hearing from you. And what that's doing is it's making me think about, man, I bet you I could, uh, I bet you I could pull some cool shit out of here because I, I, could my Greyhawk game be a hex crawl? Huh? Let's see. Two sessions ago, we did a fuck ton of travel. They went from the capital city of Gorna. They went through the Hornwood and the, and are the Crystal Mist Mountains now. Yeah. That could have been a fucking hex crawl all the way through that. I made up encounters and we had stuff that we were going to do and I had some key pieces, but we didn't check for gear breaking. We didn't check for this, that, and the other thing. It, I could have made that a little more exciting. Now, granted, I could take a, li a list from a game like Forbidden Lands and say, boy, <laughs> that's pretty invasive. Um, uh, a 12 pay, a, you know, a 12 item check for every hex. Nah, I like this one, this one, and this one. Boom. Hey, give me a, check a survival check for this give me a d6 for that give me your tracking rule give me give me give me and 
doing that bam 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 every hex would um and then something bad happens you know they've got consequences so the difference between that's kind of cool that, that that makes the travel that makes the travel like it wasn't just slog through this shit to get to the cool stuff well the difference be- like, between well, go wrong? forbidden lands kind of running at default and your situation is you your guys may have a point of origin and a destination and in between is how yeah. they get there and that is to some degree forbidden lands that the only tricky thing is is they're not they're not going to destination b they're not going from a to b because they don't know where b is i mean they could they could literally say we're going to go out and search we want to go to avalon we've heard of this great city beyond the mountains but they may not know how to get there they may not know it actually yeah. exists. So it is mm-hmm. It is a little bit different by implementing a hex crawl for going from point A to B. It, it can be exactly that, but the motive- Well, that's why I'm saying I, I, I could trim it down, sure. right? That the, the mechanisms to it, trim it a bit, and then take the things like, hey, look, there's the potential for the giants and this problem and this problem. All the shit that I've got cooking. Yeah. If I plug that in, you know, do the old- you know, control F, find, replace. I bet you I could have made that week, week and a half of travel that they took to get from point A to point B could have been a little more sketchy. Even if it was just role-playing opportunities, doesn't matter. God, how much fun would that have been? You know, I just, I see, I just seeing that as a, damn it, that's a missed opportunity, Brett. I could have done better. And again, you know? You know, if if it was more codified in AD and D or you know five E or whatever, and I think somebody's going to go look in Dungeon Master's Guide, page one fifty. It's got, I have will I have Wilderness Survival Guide just in case anybody cares. Right. It's over yeah. there, and so I have it. You can incorporate that kind of stuff. Um, I think it's a little bit. It's obviously consistent. It's it's cons, uh, consistent. It's elegant i guess to some degree i'd say it's simpler some of the older simpler. rule systems in in ad when I've, I've read through my wilderness survival guide my dungeoneer survival guide i've read through them and even your your red box you know your back me stuff at a certain point like wow that's a lot of percents and charts it doesn't it, there's they <clears throat> they did the best in this game, like many other games, are standing on the shoulders of those who came before us, right? So there's nothing wrong, bad with it. This is a different, elegant, I think is a good word, a more, you know, boxed in component. Like, hey, this is very concise, to the point. You now see games that's, that have bullet point lists in them, in their books. That a bullet point list of, this is how you do a fight, bam, bam, bam. That didn't happen right. for, for a very long time. So... I, I don't I don't knock any either of those pieces. This is just that idea of how could I do this better? Um and yeah, I could go through my wilderness survival guide and try to do something, but man, it just it feels like this type of game Forbidden Land seems to have cracked this nut pretty well that I think I could to um uh, to Kojo's point, I could steal this sucker and it wouldn't do it wouldn't do me a lot of harm. You know, it's not gonna fuck up my game system. If I add in a couple repeatable, consistent checks. So every time they go through the wilderness, they have the feeling that our our path is this way two weeks. When it took you three weeks because you got lost in a blizzard, 
or an extra day because you had to find somewhere to get food and so on and so forth because something happened to you, then the journey becomes a conversation. It becomes a role-playing experience. And um, I, I don't know, man. That just It sounds cool. And as I say, that I was thinking about it. Um, the more as my group was traveling around in the Grand Duchy of Jeff and stuff, I thought, man, I think I think I'm missing something. I could be, I could be pulling a Forbidden Lands move on these guys. I think they they really groove on it. I just uh, I don't have it, and I need to get a hold of it if nothing else, just to see how it works. And I think there's other pieces, like even with your your dungeon your dungeon crawls. You know, we used to have SOP. You know, what's your what's the SOP for dungeon? Well, the first thing is the thief goes down and does right. this and this and this. And you don't want to get to the I Greyhawkic phase where it's just two die rolls. But there's ways you can break some of this stuff into a repeatable, codifiable thing, you know. And it doesn't fit everything everywhere, but I, man, they're just, I don't know, you, you got me jazzed up about it. So I just wanted to see if that. If what I was thinking made sense, and I, you're nodding at me, so I think I'm on the right track. You can you can certainly take some inspiration from it. It's going to be a little bit of of bending, uh, quite a bit of bending to accommodate that in a different system because a lot of the checks are based on the three, three or four things, right? And so you mm-hmm. can still do it within five e or any other game, but it's it's all d sixes. And it's based on the ranks that they have in the skill and the attribute and the gear. And so when you port that over, you're going to have to try to consider like, okay, this is kind of D20-ish based, right? Like 5e certainly is. So you're going to have to determine like what would be the target numbers and what does that look like? Because in Forbidden Lands, when they roll, the first roll, ones don't really matter. They can push. So there's a trade-off. Like, I know if I push what this is potentially going to look like because I have the results in front of me. So they can push, and then those ones come into play, and ones are mishaps, cut and dry. Well, I'll tell you, man, I look at it that even if I didn't, I absolutely agree with you. There be There's mechanical work to be done if I want to go, like, one for one. Right. Even if your new game master, somebody who said, hey, look, I want to run an exploration game. I'm using Fate. I don't know fate people, so if I fucking if I fuck this up, please plus forgive minus me. nothing. I, yeah, yeah, but but I don't know how to you know really make the exploration the mechanization of it. I I, I want to make it be fun, but I don't want to. What could I do here? Even just having this list that says you know these types of skills, these types of things, check for every day. Sure. And having that on your GM screen, so to say, or whatever you've got in, on the table, on the sticky note in front of you, as that reminder. So that way, when you go back and you say, oh, yeah, fuck, we forgot to feed the sled dogs for the last two days. Right. You know, you either know what to do or you don't get halfway into the thing and say, oh, shit, I forgot we were, I was going to, ch- oh, Christ, we've had five different fights and I've never had anybody marked on their arrows. God damn it. You know, we talk about sometimes how we want to implement these different um mods or changes to really do exploration and and some of this stuff and i think we'll have a list of what we want to what we think is really cool to track you know but we don't know if we're doing it right and when i say we're doing it right where i'm saying is we're i personally anyway i second guess myself like okay i want to check on you know does the horse throw a shoe do they have enough horse feed do they have this and i'm like holy fuck do i even care 
you know, is this the right thing to be looking at? Should I be checking or tracking something differently or whatever? And I don't want to get too nudely and too crazy. And I think by looking at this as kind of a codified, this codified approach to it, I think I can, even if it went through with a 5e game and went, hey, check survival from every player twice a day and make a, you know, if you fail, then what are types of mishaps that would make sense in this land? You could need to make a riding check because your horse goes crazy. You could need to make a this check or this check. And if you have a mishap, those checks are all at disadvantage. Ha, ah, there we go. Now we're fucking with them. Or if they succeed by a certain amount. So I think the mech, the, the list is kind of where I'm, it sounds corny as hell, but that's really what I'm grooving on right now. I'm like, oh my God, somebody else sat down and did this for me. It's like when you're looking for some like, is there a form fillable PDF character sheet out there? Could Brett make one? Yeah. Do I want to? No. Somebody's probably built one. Yeah, look at that. There's a website. Mr. Gone, for everything for World of Darkness, he's like, yeah, here, take these and run. Perfect. Yeah. The mishap, <laughs> so when somebody the mishap else is, tables. When would, someone else has cracked at night. The mishap tables would come in handy, too. So regardless, if you just. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, if you deal with failure, well, then you just roll. Have them roll randomly on the mishap table. See. See what happens. Yeah, see what happens. Twist your ankle. And some of them will be, they'll love it. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess the last question I have for you before I, I'm, I'm gushing about a thing I've never even tried yet, but I just, I, the more I heard you talk about it, do you think this, um, cause we've talked about like Ravenloft mm-hmm. and how you had a hard time trying to get like the, Hey, that you felt square peg round hole a little bit with the, with the mechanics and whatnot. Do you think this playing this game for me, a takeaway for you is that the, the more, specifically codified curated type of experience is that something that you think is more important now than it may have been when you when you and I first met uh you know I or do you find yourself leaning towards that more I don't know if I would I don't know are you are you a new man now no, is no. Changed? I just no, think kidding. I found a system and um uh you know a hex crawl that facilitates a decent experience it's kind of like you know mothership and the panic and the panic checks kind of kind of mechanics and the you know the flow chart of combat and how it works and how it's laid out there's just elements of certain games that have come to my attention that i have a, a, a more appreciation for that align with what it's trying to achieve so are you finding the appreciation is because it's easy to get and implement is that a piece of it to you i think there is an element of uh, a, a pragmatic element to them that I find attractive. Like, oh, you know, it's, and that's all my personal bias. Like, no, absolutely. I mean, not. I play I'm Delta Green. You. It's a percentage skill system. Does it facilitate a conspiracy based game? Mm, not really. I mean, you got some bonds that can play a role in that a little bit and keeping your sanity and, you can lean on those a little to, to, to prevent you from losing your your marbles completely, but it's 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 the setting that appeals to me on that. Where where Forbidden Lands, it's a it's more of the kind of the setting and the combination of mechanics to facilitate the hex crawl more, like an older school game that I could grok. Like I have OSC, great game, you know, no question, but it's there's a lot of things that I would 
have to kind of like pull this apart, pull that over and, and to get the same type of experience that for bin lands already has built in. And it's year zero, uh, year engines, year zero engine. So it's not, I mean, for, you know, free league is putting that into most of their games, except, you know, um, what's the, what's Simber Simberum is not, Simberum is not, you're right. And, uh, I think that's the big one. That's not, but, and, and they're not all exactly the same. Like if you take alien and forbidden lands, you, and twilight 2000, you can see tales from the loop or whatever. Yeah. Tales from the loop, you know, D six, sixes are good. Ones are bad, but how they use them to facilitate the feel of the game is unique because in aliens it's, you know, horror suspense, you know, dire circumstances, things of that nature, where Basin, thanks, Phil, Basin's a little differently as well. But when you, so they, they tweak, they take their kind of like, hey, this thing we know, right? It, it, but it's, so it's a system that they use in multiple different games, but it's not GURPS. It's not Savage Worlds, right? Because they're tweaking it just enough so that it facilitates. Yeah. So the, the mechanics, the mechanics are being modified to help facilitate and curate the, the events. Correct. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yes. I get you. Which is, yeah, no, I like that. I just, it, it's interesting to me when I look at it, and I think about you and I've talked about games for a long time mm-hmm. now, obviously. And there's certain po- points when I remember you and I talking about, like, you know, the idea of a curated game versus a hey, you can do this or how do you modify or whatever, and the house rules and all that stuff, and it just there's something really cool when you find a game like this that is that's scratching an itch for you. And I look at my friend and go, man, dude's really grooving on this. He's having a hell of a good time. What pieces and parts I listen to the stories that you're telling me, I'm like, man, even if I don't want to play that game, Mm -hmm. there are aspects of that game that I'm really, I'm like, man, I could have made, like I said, my travel and my Greyhawk game could have been more fun. And I could do it now. I could bring it back and say, hey, guys, I got a new way I want to do travel. And they'd be like, all right, sure, let's right. Fucking try it. No one, no one would complain. And I think an interesting thing with, like, a uh, an OSR game, like, you know, AD&D First Edition is that there's no skills, really. Right. You know, and um, this type of thing, it also, with no skills, makes me think of Dungeon Crow Classics, Overland Travel and stuff. Instead of Overland Travel being a lot of Brett's recollection, uh, some of the overland travel I would see is like, you know, every day roll for a random encounter. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't seem to, you know, make sure you tell the players how hard it is to go through the vast swamp. Describe the this, talk about the that. But instead, taking a list and saying, wow, let's tweak the mishaps, let's do this. And just, it's it doesn't have to be, you know, the term mishaps is also a piece when you kept, you said that, I'm like, man, that's really cool. Cause I remember asking you, what is that about? And you're like, well, it's small shit. You know, there is too many you, things that go very, very well for a lot of games. Yes. I think that inherently. Yeah, so some very, some very difficult shit that your characters are doing and depends on what you're into, right? Some people are like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to tell, tell that story. I don't want to be part of that game. Fair. Fine, then don't, don't, don't use right. this. But if you want to do that and talk about exploration, going through difficult land, ask anybody who's done it and been stuck on the mountainside. You know, they used to work with a guy who lost part of his nose, fingers, and an ear, stuck on a mountainside. (laughs) 
shit goes wrong. Right. You know, he was an experienced mountaineer too. It just didn't work for him that time. Anyway, I didn't. I don't mean to keep belaboring it, Sean. I just thought it was, it was interesting that when I'm I'm listening to your <clears throat> excitement about it, and I'm like, man, what is it? What is that that's getting me excited about? It's just because my buddy's excited. I'm like, no, there's there's more to it than that. And I think it's kind of it's neat that the um, it just it ties into what I want to talk about next week. You know, interesting stuff about additions, and then it also ties very nicely into what Kojo asked us about. Mm-hmm. Scabbing stuff in and seeing how we can make it work. So anyway, anything else you want to say, Sean? Like we can move on. No, I don't think so. We can get into get into die roll. There's nothing else we got to talk about. Something you liked for instead of yeah. how bad jury duty was. So <laughs> hey, there's that. <laughs> die roll two to four miscellaneous points. Game of geekery. Uh, first one VC. Thanks VC. Fear the con coming June 25th to the 27th? Question mark. So this weekend, by the time this drops. It might be the day of, so I think it's online too, if I'm not mistaken. I forgot to put a link. I believe it's online, con, yeah. yeah. Uh, so check them out. They've been going for quite a while. Uh, Who's Carl posts, a great snake bots can now burrow underground, so we'll never see them coming. Article on Gizmodo. This is, Which, people just know I hate robots. Yep, they know I hate robots, and that's what this shit's about. Yes. And now I'm. God damn it. The next one, Akadokin, Vast Grim. Vast Grim is a rules-light, infectious sci-fi horror tabletop role-playing game compatible with Merc Borg, featuring three new mm. Elder Dice sets. It is now listed on GameFound, which I wasn't wholly familiar with, but it sounds like a crowdsourcing type of website. That campaign's launching in 21 days from this recording. So you have plenty. Yeah, this is June. Yeah, plenty. this is June 21st, 2021. So 21 days from the 21st. So sometime in July, people. Plenty of coming. time, yeah. So that's it. So what are we talking about next week, Brett? I want to talk about some of the interesting stuff about additions. And not addition oh. wars, just different components. Because this is leading This is leading up to, um, I didn't know I was leading up to it, but I think I am leading up to Kojo's idea. Uh-huh. I think um, Kojo was reading our minds. He must be like, this is why I can't sleep at night. Kojo's proud of my brain. I got a lot of, but anyway, point I is, got a lot of smart devices about. over there that are probably leaking shit. Probably. Probably. <laughs> All right, man. All right. You ready? Yeah. Hey, so thanks for everybody joining us during this live uh, recording, even putting up through the complete fiasco of getting this started and off the freaking ground. Uh, thank you so much. It's good to see all of you. If you didn't have the opportunity to tune in here on Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central Time at GamingNBS.com forward slash Twitch, um, you can obviously find us at your podcatcher of choice and uh, subscribe to the audio flagship show. Otherwise, if you see this on YouTube, give us a like or subscribe. Otherwise, I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming and BS, produced with help from the following BSers. Andrew Lear, Bornak, Bob Fletcher, The Grave, Kevin Keneally, Miniature Master, Mike Coleman, Wayne Peacock, Michael O'Holland, Chris Shorb, Orcus Dorcas, Todd Sharp, Craig Shipman, Ewald Trooper, Quigley Malcolm, Larry Hollis, Isaiah Aries Christian, The Duke in Purple, Ed Nyes, Jay Plata, Adam Grotejohn, Phil McClory, $1 Adventure Frameworks, Eric Frankhouse presents Daniel Garrett, Jim Ingram, Rory Weston, Mike Hess Jr., Hoos Carl, Eric Tavola, 
Colcago, Henry Newcomb, Melissa Bashinsky, Harrigan, David F. Baylog, Rich Wishon, Brian Rumble, Aaron Coleman, Jeff Goad, Aaron Relia, Niall Diamond, Maurice, Corey Gonzalez, John Kaywer, Jeff Seifert, Andy Olson, Michael Dinos, Erica Villa, Perry Besor, Laramie Wall, Brian Kurtz, Robert Nemeth, Nolabert, George Sedgwick, Eric Salzweedle, Angus, Corey Welch, Josh Wallace, Howard Bishop, Craig, Sky, Chad Gleyman, Mark Richmond, Ron Bishop, Larry Hout, Curtis Takahashi, Christopher Lang, Old Scoozer Roleplaying, Jim Fitzpatrick, Ray Otis, Jared Rasher, Stephen Dragonspawn, Roger Brasslett, Craig Huber, C.W. Mellencamp, Dan LaValle, Eileen Barnes, Brandon Barnes, Brett Pazinski, Pure Mongrel, Mirko Froelich, Mark Tasaka, Jason Hobbs, Chris Steele, Andy Hall, Eric Jeppesen, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Old School DM, and Joe Swick. Hey, have you ever considered becoming a patron of the show? Associate producer, perhaps? At $1 a month, less than a cost of a 20-ounce soda, you could help support Brett and I produce this thing. Head over to GamingNBS.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. We appreciate it. Thank you. This This has been a Litterbox Litterbox Studio production. production.